0: I think we're going to be in trouble. I almost greeted you good morning. <laughs> I do that. That's, uh, I don't know. It's a bad habit. I guess. I guess I'm just so uh, in the habit of greeting people with really not thinking about it. <laughs> good morning. How are you? And it's eight o'clock at night. It tells you I'm not really processing. Um, well, I'm excited to be here tonight. I hope we have a good discussion, good lesson, and it's something I'm I'm passionate about. It's something that. Um, I work within a little bit because it has a lot to do with student ministry, and uh, I want to process it with you guys as, as adults, as parents, as grandparents, um, and hopefully it will mean something to you as well. Uh, I think there's blessing in it. I think there's some stuff there that we can uh, dig into tonight and enjoy the conversation and uh, come away with um, maybe a little more of a passionate understanding uh, of the text and our culture. So I want to start with a prayer if you wouldn't mind praying with me. Father, thank you uh, for the day. Thank you for Sabbath and for Sundays and uh, for coming together and worship and for the table. Uh, Father, thank you for community and, and your bride that you generously share with us. And we get to, to live in that context, to live in that reality, to lean on one another, uh, to greet each other, Father, to... Uh, see each other's faces, um, to hold each other dear, to pray for, to lift up, um, and to be blessed. And so, Father, we are, we are richly blessed, and sometimes we just need to, to say that out loud so that we know and we can affirm uh, the gift that you've given us and uh, what we call the church. In Christ's name, amen. So tonight I want to I talk to you about two main texts. We're going to be uh, working out of Galatians a little bit and then we're gonna work a little bit out of 1st and 2nd John. And normally we would take 1st, 2nd, 3rd John kind of as a unit, Um, but we're just gonna focus in on 1st and 2nd John tonight and uh, kind of go from there Um, and and we'll we'll process that. But what I wanna do is I wanna show you in Galatians and I'll I'll talk a little bit about the narrative of Galatians so that you kind of understand where these texts are coming from, what's going on. I assume you know a little bit about it. It's a letter uh, from Paul and um, Paul is talking to a church in Galatian or Galatia and he's reflecting on some stuff that's going on in that church. There's um, and I'll just put it this way, a new gospel coming to town for Paul. Okay, and we've seen this. Travis has done a great job, you know, working us through the book of Acts, and we see this again and again. Paul goes to a community, um, and it's not long after his community where there's, there's some conflict coming. So we see that in Acts, but we also see it in his letters. A lot of times his letter uh, is sent to the church there in, in, in whatever context and saying, hey, um, what you're doing, uh, you got to stop. You need to, to refocus and listen again to what the gospel is. And so this is, this is uh, really nothing special here, but I'm using this book um, because I think it does a really good job for us. And Paul um, does a really good job of articulating what he thinks about the situation. Um, so if if you read this book and you you start over uh, start with it it starts off with a salutation uh, grace and peace this is uh, verse uh, three grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ this is pretty common for Paul but in, in this one he kind of jumps into it a little quicker by verse six he's already dealing with what's going on I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a Different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. All right. And so this is where we first get this flavor that Paul, hey, I think he's upset. I mean, think about just the magnitude of them. Let them be eternally condemned. Now, this is a guy that has a passion for the kingdom of God. This is a guy that follows Christ's teachings. This is a guy that is out there even working with the Gentiles and trying to get them to buy into this this Jesus Christ guy and and, and what that means in his coming and his return. And and so Paul's language is very rich with this, but this, this whatever this is really has him fired up. And we can pick up a few of these clues. Um, Paul spends some time um, kind of shoring up who he is, okay? Uh, uh, I want you to know, brothers, this is in verse uh, 11. I want you to know, brothers, the gospel I preached is not something man-made. I did not receive it from anyone, nor was I taught it. I received it by the revelation from Christ. So he's, he's going all the way back. He says, let me show you who I am. I've got the stamp. I've got the stamp from Jesus. Okay, so just know that and he goes a little further and he talks about hey I've got the stamp from Jesus and not that I really need it. I have the stamp from the apostles I've been there. They said go with it Paul. You're doing a good thing. All right Um, He even goes to the point in the later part of chapter 2 where he says I've even gone toe-to-toe With other leaders of the church Because I value what God is doing among the gentiles I'm not even gonna let peter come in and send a mixed message, all right? And so he's establishing his message. He's, he's establishing who he is for them. And um, there's something going on there that we need, to, we need to be aware of, something we need to look at. And, and so Paul begins this discussion in chapter three. Um, I'll read a little bit of it, but we'll probably kind of back out of that and I'll, I'll fast forward, kind of give you the story of what's going on because we could spend all night tonight in, in just this one book. Um, And I want to move on past it a little bit, but I want to emphasize what's going on. So chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain the goal by human effort. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And then he goes into quite a bit of dialogue backing up this idea that we are saved by faith. Okay, And so I I don't want to get into that. I want to get into the angst of what Paul has. Okay, And what's coming is and he's going to talk about this a little bit. He's going to talk about the argument between, you know, did you receive the spirit of God because of your faith or because of works of the flesh? And he's going to go back and forth between flesh and the law and flesh and the law. And if you read into that a little bit, what we have happening here, and we've read or we've studied this with, uh, with Travis on Sunday mornings, is those Judaizers have come in after Paul's teaching and they're laying down those Jewish rules again. And they're saying the Jewish law must be added to the Christ or to the Christ event. Specifically for Paul, what they're bringing in is circumcision in this community. Uh, if you go a little further, if you read in chapter five, drop down to um, oh, verse seven. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? What kind of persecution? I'm, I'm sorry. What kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you? A little, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, uh, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And that's pretty tough language. but That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He said, when you take the gospel and you want to add to it, what you're saying is that whatever Christ did was not enough. If you want to irritate an apostle, add to the gospel. Okay? If you want to fire him up, go in, challenge the teachings of Christ, challenge the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection everything that he stood for and say, yeah, that was really, really good, but not quite enough. You need to add the food loss. You need to add circumcision. You need to add, and you fill in the blank. All right, so when you add to the text, when you add to the gospel, you get in big trouble. All right, so let's go to First uh, and Second John. I love 1 John. I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I love it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus Christ, we write, these, uh, we write this to make our joy complete. All right, now, that's a, there's a whole lot in this first section to unpack, but I want you to notice some things. Notice how incarnate, how physical John is with the introduction of this letter. We have seen, we have heard, we have touched. It's physical, it's physical, it's physical, everything about that. Now, if you read through John and you continue, what you will find is a counter-narrative being produced by, okay, and I'm not going to give you their name yet, okay, um, the first group were the Judaizers, right? Well, there's a counter-narrative to John's gospel as well. And the counter-narrative in John's gospel is saying Jesus did not come in the flesh, that's the counter narrative. If you continue to read the text, you'll find that um, those that are that are in John's target area, okay, um, they are saying that there is no fleshly Christ. So let me talk just a little bit about what that teaching is. Um, I would consider it the baby steps for Gnosticism, okay, and Gnosticism was the first real conflict for the early church to overcome because people were coming to this new spirituality, okay? Especially John. John doesn't help us there because he's always referring to what they call the paraclete or the Holy Spirit, okay? You got to remember, this is first century Christian. Everything spirit is fascinating. Oh, there's a new religion in town. Let's go check it out, okay? There's a new spirit. There's a new God. There's a new element, and they run to it. Paul talks about that in some of his contexts. I see you're very religious, well, this is, no, this is no different for John. He's using this term, uh, paraclete, spiritual. Um, we talk about that, and, the, and they jump on it. They say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm in. But they go a step further, and, and because it is spiritual, the Gnostics, okay, and again, I'm throwing a lot at you. I apologize for that. But the Gnostics had a problem with the physicality of Christ. Uh, they were under kind of a, a Platonistic worldview that all things physical were bad if you enjoyed it, it was bad. Can any of you relate? Think back when you were a kid. If it was good, it must be a sin, right? Yeah, I grew up with that. I grew up with that. And that's what they're emphasizing here. So there's no way that divinity could come down to this, this flesh. All right, for the, uh, for the um, Platonists, creation was bad, okay? Creation was a place that God had to make to put um, Uh, this is a Platonistic view, Um, the creation was something that God had to make, or the gods, had to make to put humans who were so vile. All right, so this is a holding pen for bad humans. Okay, and so creation is bad. Physicality is bad. How can you take divinity and put it in a human? We can't do that. So what they had to do is they came up with a counter-narrative, and their counter-narrative sounded something like this. We believe in Jesus, but he came as a spirit. Or he came as a spirit at baptism you know that dove sending down thing remember that okay that was divinity coming down into humanity just just long enough to teach us and then guess what happens right before the crucifixion in his transfiguration guess what happens God goes home and sends the flesh part the man part to the cross because you know what cursed is everybody who hangs on a cross Right? They couldn't allow for divinity to come live among us because creation was viewed as bad. So the counter-narrative is, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. That's how they wrap their minds around it. Now, these are baby Gnostics. They haven't expanded their full theological underpinning at this point, but they're starting to gain ground. If we can convince people Christ didn't come in the flesh, okay? Uh, the, the other trajectory for Gnosticism, because flesh is bad, we deny everything, right? This is where we get into those ascetic moves where you whip yourselves as you walk down the road, you know. All right. Flesh is bad. Flesh is bad. Nothing good. There's a second view for Gnosticism. And, and for Gnosticism, the other view was that nothing matters if it happens in the flesh. Because flesh is separated from spirit. So I can live however I want. And we'll see this in John Okay, because there are some of them saying, I can live any way I want. I don't have to love you. I don't have to love my brother. And I can still be in Christ. And you find this counter teaching in John. No, if you can't love your brother, how can you love Christ? Or if you can't believe Christ came in the flesh, then you're denying everything he did on the cross. There's no sacrifice if he wasn't hanging on the cross. So the second lesson, and let's use some of John's language here. uh, chapter two verse uh, eighteen I think if I read it right eighteen. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming even now, many Antichrists have come. Those people that deny the fleshly existence of Christ they're Antichrist verse twenty two uh, who is the liar? It is the man who, who uh, denies that Christ or that Jesus in the Christ uh, such a man. In the, uh, is the Antichrist. So we can't allow Jesus uh, to be the Christ because Jesus is flesh and Christ is Messiah and those things don't mix. And John says, they're the Antichrist. That's a pretty harsh term, especially as you follow that conversation into Revelations. So here's what I want you to know there are two ways to really irritate an apostle. In Paul's case, add to the gospel. It's not good enough. In John's case, take away from the gospel. It's a lie. It's deceiving you. So remove this part so you can believe in what's left. Okay? Are you rooted there? Just nod. Lean to one side. Alright? So we understand what really irritates in this case the apostles. Alright? So... Let me, let me expand just a little bit. Let's, let's move on, okay? So we've got these two views of what irritates the apostles. Um, in 2005, they did a study with 3,000 teenagers. Okay, you know this is going to be teenagers, right? Oh, so do me a favor. Don't uh, dismiss the survey or the study because it was teenagers, okay? Don't put on them the blanket of, well, they're immature anyway. What do they know? Because remember, those teenagers are imitating what they've seen and what they've been taught. Okay? So I have yet to meet a vibrant 12 or 13-year-old who comes out with a great theology. I have met a lot of vibrant 12 and 13-year-olds who can imitate somebody else's theology very, very well. Okay? What do you believe? Well, uh, hang on. Let me check with mom and dad. What do you believe? Hang on. Let me see what's on our church bulletin. Okay. All right. So just hang in there for a minute. 2005, 3,000 students are polled in a conversation or, uh, in a, uh, in a poll. All right. This is what they came up with. And I'm going to give you a name for it in a minute, but these are their core beliefs when it comes to their faith. Okay. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. I can, I can kind of go with that. A God exists. Well, you're halfway there. And He created. Okay, I'm really with you now, right? And He's watching over us. I'm like, that's great. I love that. I can do that. Right? Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, fair to each other, as taught in the Bible. You with me? I'm good. Now, here's the caveat. As taught in the Bible and most world religions. You catching a little ambiguity now? A God exists, and He creates, and He's watching. And a God wants us to be good, right, and fair, just like the Bible tells me so, and is also taught by most world religions. You following me? All right, let's let's keep going. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. And you're like, well, that's teenagers. Okay. You think their parents are trying to find happiness and feel good about themselves? I would bet so. How about their grandparents? Find happiness in grandbabies, right? (laughs) And feel good about ourselves. God does not need, this is number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. God created, God exists, God watches over us, God wants us to be good, but I don't really need him until I have a problem. You know anybody like that? I don't really access him. I don't really petition him until what? Something goes wrong. I made it all day, had a great day, did it on my own, got out of bed, brushed my teeth, went to work, got a paycheck, came home, got a flat tire. First time... Today, I said, oh, Lord, help me out of this (laughs) because I got a problem. But I didn't need them the rest of the day. I'm raising kids, got a good job, working at the church. Things seem to be moving okay. But do I need them until I have a problem, until something breaks down? Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Sound reasonable? It's almost got a little bit of gospel in it, doesn't it? Almost. Okay. They have a name for this. Moral therapeutic deism. It's not called the gospel or a life according to the gospel. It's called moral or actually moralistic therapeutic deism. What do we think of when we think moral? Doing the right thing. Right? Good moral life. I like that. When we think therapeutic, we think therapy. Thinking, you know, feel good about ourselves. When we think deism, this is deism. Deism is God is there, but he's really not engaging us. He did his creative thing. He's kind of watching. You know, we're just the earth spinning in the background while he's busy with something else. So here's, here's what our culture, what this group of 3,000 came up with. if I'm good, I feel good about myself. That's a basic universal truth. When I'm doing right, I feel pretty confident. I don't have any bodies hanging out in the trunk of my car. You know? If I'm doing right, I'm okay, and I'm happy. And God is watching down. Now, let me back up To my story. When I grew up in Colorado, small Baptist church, you didn't smoke. You didn't wear blue jeans. Cards were suspicious. Rock music would send you straight to hell. You couldn't even look at a girl. There were some very strict guidelines, they were rules. And as long as I followed those rules, mom and dad were pretty happy with me. Things were going good at home. The school didn't kick me out for following rules. And apparently I must be doing things right because I'm not sinning, not smoking, not drinking. So guess what? I feel really good. Moral, therapeutic. By being good, I'm happy. There is absolutely no relationship with God in that theology. I have sacrificed a relationship with the Father for rules this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had done. Christ had to come to a bloody cross to reestablish that relationship. They were good. They were being morally prudent. They would only walk so far on certain days. They wouldn't work. They would tithe. They would do all of the good things Okay. If they could keep up with the good things, they got to feel pretty good about themselves. If they were mm, marginal with the law, they were marginal about how they felt, you know, felt about themselves. But if I could just do those two things, we're okay. And we think we're removed from that. We think just these kids have this ideology. But think about it. How do we live? Are you happy? Yeah, I feel pretty good. I didn't stumble and trip into a big pile of sin on my way in today. I'm okay. Yeah. You got a relationship with God? huh? But I'm okay. Because we trade that behavior. Now, I'm not saying that the behavior is a non-player. I am saying that if I groom that relationship with the Father, out of that overflow with Him, the behavior will be taken care of. But I can, I can tithe. I can step to the right beat. I can march like you ask me to do and completely avoid the vertical component in my faith. Um, how many of you know great Christians that know everything and they're here every Sunday? No, no, don't point, okay? Like, right over I see them. You know, they're here every Sunday, they follow the rules, but they really don't have a relationship with the Father. They're struggling with loneliness and brokenness because they're grasping at, I can fix this if I just am well-behaved enough. Does that sound familiar? Anybody know anybody like that? Okay, now let me back up and talk about parenting. You know how you're a good parent? If your kids don't embarrass you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, Uh, I will tell you, this is just me, that one of the worst whippings I ever got was in the church parking lot. Okay, my sister's 16 months younger than I am. I don't know what she did to earn the wrath of Bert, but right out there in the foyer, Bert had his little sister pinned to the ground. And my dad walks out and sees that scene, and it was straight to the van for both of you. I still can't sit down. I embarrassed my dad. One of the biggest frustrations I have, and I'm still weak in this area. I got four kids. So when I come to church, I'm on duty, man. Like, you want to shake hands and talk? Don't have time. Where's Corbin? You know? You want to visit? I love you, too. Where's Evelyn? I think she's lost. You know, has anybody seen Lila? Okay. Because you're always looking for those kids. Some of it is, yeah, I want them to be safe. But the other one is, I don't want to see my my, my two boys, you know, launching off one of the pews doing WrestleMania, you know, kind of thing. I'm embarrassed but good kids don't embarrass you see I was a good kid I didn't embarrass dad except for that one time at church but I didn't have the relationship with dad that I needed to have because when I went off to college I acted a fool it wasn't a relationship with a father I just followed rules at home and I knew how to do it really really well my parents even get compliments imagine that being complimented on me boy that son Bert he's a well, he's, uh, well, he's, uh, yeah, they struggled sometimes to find good things. But they would find a good thing, you know. And that's how, that's how we determine whether we've got good, good kids. It's not based on the relationship we have with them. But we parent this way almost immediately, don't we? Just please don't have a breakdown in the middle of Walmart. Okay, you've seen those parents. they got one kid and they're dragging them through. I'm like, I'm so glad my kids aren't like that. She must be a terrible parent. Because the child's not being behaved. Obviously, there's no relationship there. All right. So let's drop back into Paul and John. If you add something to the gospel, you get in trouble. If you take something away from the gospel, you get in trouble. You're an antichrist or you're a mutilator of the flesh, Paul would say. And you need to be eternally condemned. How often do we add to the gospel? You know, I was was talking this morning, uh, we talked about this this idea of not lamenting alone, right? You know, we don't have to do that alone. We don't have to mourn alone. We're blessed because we have a comforter, right? Okay. What if we were to take our approach in that, you know what, if you want a relationship with God, it it really is about just loving God and loving others. And then along the road, we'll work out the theology. We'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about how Christians reflect the love of God to their community. We'll talk about what it means to be a righteous, godly, young man or godly woman. But right now, let's just stay with the gospel and establish that foundational relationship. Let's not trade guidelines and rules for a relational God who wants to be involved in our lives to the point that he even wants to mourn with us. I mean, you ever thought about that? A God that wants to sit with you while you're sad, while you're crushed, He wants it so bad. He wants that relationship. Yes, Bert, I know you're breaking some rules. You're breaking some guidelines. You're not morally up to par with Jesus. Nobody ever is. But I want to be with you. I want to be present in your life. So think about all things. We we talked about this with the students a little bit Wednesday night or two ago. So what are the things we add? How do you become a Christian? We even talked about this, a good Christian. Paul calls them super apostles. Is there such a thing as a good Christian and a bad Christian? Oh yeah, I can tell you what they are. He's a good Christian, he's now. Nah. You're just Christian. You're either in Christ or not in Christ. There's no super Christian just because he follows more rules. Right, we left the, the Pharisee and the Sadducee patches behind. We don't get to go back and pick those up. Well, you know, I'm a minister. I get the super Christian sticker right there. Of course, Travis is next level, I'll agree, right? Elders are somewhere in there, all right. They're working hard. Deacons a step down, security guys, all right, they've got responsibilities here too. Song leaders, you guys got a special place too. But man, if you don't do any of that, then really are you a a good Christian? Is your behavior enough? Can we add to the gospel? And, and we tend to want to do that, right? Give them little stamps for doing a little more, for being a little extra. And we, we wonder why our kids come up with this idea, if I just behave, if I feel good about myself, then I get to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven and be with God and Jesus. By the way, I have no relationship with them. But I was good, and I felt good about myself. And this is why when they don't feel good about themselves, their world turns inside out because I thought it was all about feeling good about myself. And so we put them in an impossible position. That's called moral, moralistic therapeutic deism. And it adds to the gospel or it deludes the gospel or it takes away from the gospel. It's really no gospel at all. It's just feel-good news. I can get the same thing by listening to great songs from the 80s. You know, turn on my, amen, I got it, yeah. Turn on my favorite radio station, all's good. It's about as equivalent as that. I'm going to listen to my favorite radio station and be good and go to heaven when I die. That's not the gospel Christ brings to the cross. Okay? I'm sure you guys are aware of that. But I'm sure you're also aware of this tendency to want to be good because we feel like we're not good enough. And Christ says, you are good enough. You are my bride. Sometimes you're an ugly bride. Sometimes you're a beautiful bride. But you are my bride. There are no super brides out there. There's just the bride of Christ. Okay? And I think we can, we can help our young people. We can help our children. We can help our children's children by helping them see. You know, it's not about how good you feel about yourself sometimes. Just know you're good enough, right? Christ loves you already. He's, he died to the cross before you were even born, okay? And focus on the relationship you have with the Father. Now, that's a whole other sermon. What does it look like to have a relationship with the Father? How do we know that's going on? Because I'm really tempted to go back and say, well, if I read, if I study, if I pray, if I'm not smoking, do you see where my default is? My relationship is based on my behavior. No, that's not it either. Okay? I'll give you just a little bit there, and then I'll wrap up. And you've heard me say this you are the beloved sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel. He came. He sacrificed. He redeemed. He was risen. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are loved. You are cared for. You are not forsaken. You are not abandoned. And that's not dependent on whether or not you smoke cigarettes or wear blue jeans in my case. That's who I was. That's my identity. And I live into that identity. And guess what? When I begin to live into that identity and understand that reality, I start to watch what I do. Because I want to reflect him well. Because I have a relationship with him. If that makes sense. I want to pray over us. I know we're, we're going to transition into some, some communion thoughts as well. But... Um, if, if any of this is helpful, always feel free to reach out. Always feel free to grab one of our elders uh, by the hand or, or, or uh, come up and, and talk to any of the ministers. but um, I hope this has kind of been uh, a little bit jarring for us. Uh, know that there 's a theology out there called moral therapeutic deism, and it 's uh, how good you can be and how good you can fall or feel and, and you it 's not real though it 's a false one so i 'm going to pray over us and then we 'll stand and sing. Father, uh, thank you. Uh, So much for providing more than just uh, warm feelings and good behavior. Lord, you ushered us into a kingdom that provides real relationship with a dynamic, divine, all-powerful God. With a loving, sacrificial, caring brother in Christ. With a spirit that is powerful and indwelling. That provides comfort and wisdom and is our teacher and guide. Lord, you provide so much more than just warm feelings and happy thoughts. We are yours. We claim those promises. We we claim um, all that you uh, say about us, and we want to live into that. And Father, in a loving relationship, I just want to live up to whatever expectation you have of me. I want to be the best child I can be my loving Father. And that impacts how I live and how I walk and have my being. Father, watch over us. um, Help us to lean into the relationship we have with the Father. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand as we sing.